I'm JG Michael, and this is Parallax Views. Hello, this is Mike Swanson. In a few moments, you're going to listen to another segment of Parallax Views. But before you do that, let me tell you about my new book, Why the Vietnam War. It's a sequel to my previous book called The War State, which has lots of positive reviews and Amazon's been out for years. But this one is a more detailed case study of how American Empire National Security State operate using Vietnam. And I believe it shows also how things work today, how policy is actually made and why. So grab the book on Amazon.com, Why the Vietnam War. This edition of Parallax Views is brought to you by the $10 and above tier supporters of Parallax Views on Patreon. So, with that in mind, producers credit shoutouts to Gunner, Mark, Alexander, Catherine, Tilo, Emilia, Jeff, John, Bert, Brian, Elliot, Michael, Brace, Nick, Mersham. Galen, Arlen, Bo, Gigadelic Media, Chance, Chase, Dan, David H. Y. Kellerman, Saadade 13, Kathleen, David, Ava, Bob, The West Bank Robbery Podcast, Jamie, Enoch, Gary, Max, Ishtofer, James, Martin, Matthew Ho, Brian, Nobody, Thomas, and Dano. And now on to the show. Hey there, Parallax Views listeners. On this edition of the program, researcher, writer, and native Gazan, Abdelhadi Al-Irjla, joins the show to discuss Israel-Palestine, the Gaza War, and the fascinating recent book he co-edited entitled Rebel Governance in the Middle East. What do we mean by rebel governance? Well, we'll be talking about groups like Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Houthis in this conversation. I think you'll find it fascinating, and I hope you enjoy it. So, with that being said, let's get right to the conversation. Welcome to Parallax Views, a guest that I'm very excited to be speaking with. He is a Palestinian-Swedish academic and the co-author of a book that I'm going to have to get around to reading entitled Rebel Governance in the Middle East, Abdelhadi Al-Jilda. Uh, if I mispronounce your name, I'm sorry. How are you doing? Well, that's that's fine uh... So I wanted to have you on to talk about the Palestinian perspective on what is happening right now. But before we get into that, maybe you could talk a little bit about your book, uh, Rebel Governance in the Middle East, uh, and maybe how it's relevant to what is now occurring. Uh, well, well, the book, um, th- thank you for hosting me, and and uh, it's a pleasure uh, to talk to you. Um, well, Rebel Governance in the Middle East is, is a book related to... Um, uh, uh, examining and discussing how non-state actors, uh, militias and um, uh, militants and, and others uh, who are working in the Middle East um, uh, beside the government um, 
and how they manage the daily life, how they provide services, what kind of services, how they get legitimacy, how they can affect and um, in, in other ways uh, get uh, uh, legitimacy from the people um, they govern. So this book is related to um, or give a different perspective of, of rebel governance. Rebel governance has been um, around for a decade or more, um, discussed from Western theories, Western um, political scientists, and usually most of these um, uh, uh, rebels that uh, uh, started in the Middle East uh, started through the lenses of peace and conflict theories, um, which is which is um, so somehow saddened me uh, uh, that uh, we look at Hezbollah or Hamas or even the um, other uh, uh, like Houthi from only peace and conflict uh, theories. But how they gain legitimacy, why they are there, why they survive for long. And that's why the book is, uh, uh, is, is here. Um, and it has several uh, um, case studies from Houthi to uh, Libya, how to, to Syria, Palestine, and with, with, with uh, some of the um, uh, authors that have been working on these topics for for some time. And 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 the addition of this book, um, or the main argument of this book, is the rebels in the Middle East or even the non-state actors cannot be theorized or put in one put. You cannot just like bring a theory and say it's like, oh, those are all the same, or this is how they gain legitimacy. Because the historical and socioeconomic and sociopolitical aspect and path of every society and every group of these is different. And that's why, their legitimacy and gaining their legitimacy is different and how they affect others is different, how they tax is different and so on. Can you elaborate on that in, in regards to say, I mean, if we were talking about Hamas, how would you approach uh, how we speak about Hamas or even, I mean, if you wanted to use Hezbollah as an example or the Houthis, maybe what's the best example for how you would examine these sort of groups? There is no best example here because, it, as I said before, it each one is is different. And but but if we talk about Hamas, for example, how many researchers in the West have examined Hamas or studied Hamas as a service provider? Only one or two, maybe. And uh, some of them are not expert. Uh, as far as I know, is Sarah Roy is the best one who studied Hamas from uh, 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 this uh, perspective, and I think. She is the one most capable in the West to write and talk about them. them. But recently, because Sarah Roy was forbidden to go to Gaza or unable to go to Gaza for the last 15 years, maybe. So it's difficult now how with, with the development on the ground, it's, 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 it needed a new perspective. Uh, Hamas have been developed, for example, have been changed. There have been paradigm shift in Hamas characteristics as, as, as a group. And, and here is the, the uh, perspective if we want to study Hamas, for example, as an state actor, or as uh, if we want to say, is it the question here, is it is Hamas a rebel or not? So that's one of the questions. But if we want to study Hamas from one perspective, Hamas cannot be fit in one model because Hamas can be actually studied as a social movement. 
It can be studied as a militia. It can be studied as a de facto government. It can be studied as uh, as as uh, uh, um, uh, terrorist organizations uh, organization. It can be studied also as um, uh, uh, as as, as as a, a government, as itself, formal government. So here is the idea is, what are the necessary tools that we have as a researchers to look and study Hamas, for example? The same with Hezbollah, by the way, the same with Houthi, by the way. First question was, why Hamas survived this long? And after the siege, why Hamas survived uh, uh, between 1993 and 2000? Um, uh, by the Palestinian Authority when they cracked them. Why Hamas uh, able now to, uh, after 100 year, uh, days in, in northern Gaza of a um, uh, invasion, to return back to streets, their police? So here is the question is, we needed to study them so we don't actually misrepresent, but also miscalculate the results of actions of states or non-states as well, including international organizations and including international community as well. Do you, can you talk a little bit about what, what do you, I mean, what would your analysis be with regards to why Hamas has been able to uh, hold on for so long, how it's been able to persevere in a way? There are several reasons. Um, and let's just start with, with, with one uh, legitimacy in Gaza. One is Hamas have been working as a service provider for a long time, since its inception, late uh, 70s. And even um, during their governance, they worked to establish more legitimacy on different levels. One is through the tribes and families, and second, through religious um, uh, prescription as a Muslim Islamic identity. And then, you have this perspective of 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 um, of legitimacy through mosques, uh, which is uh, double. It works as uh, a, a double um, uh, or, or double legitimacy when they work as Islamic identity and through the mosque, which became center for them. And then you have the services usually went through mosques as well during this time, but also you have this idea of, of ability of Hamas to transform itself very quickly, like a camera. Like you are, it's like chasing somebody, but like a ghost. You are chasing a ghost in Gaza Street. Um, they have also military tactics, actually, that's including tunnels, which is very highly uh, developed, advanced. Um, and and I, I, I am from Gaza, and you know, in Gaza, if somebody divorced in Rafah, everybody in northern of Gaza will know that he was divorced. He is divorced tomorrow or next day. So it's rumors now. But in Gaza, nobody knows where are the tunnels. Even though, because they, they, they have this possibility and ability to 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 to, to hide their tactics, to, to make um, uh, their military tactics uh, evolve over the time, to develop, to regroup, and, and, and so on. But also you have one important thing is, is Hamas for a long time have also uh, uh, worked on the grievances. So when you have high level of grievances among the Palestinians in Gaza, so instead of, of, of being against Hamas, 
they will stay beside Hamas, or at least if they are against Hamas, they will not show that they are against Hamas. So that's why it survived. The level of grievances among the Palestinians, when we're talking about 70% of the Palestinians in Gaza nowadays are either lost somebody um, close to them or their home destroyed. So you are talking about almost, that we are talking about December now, but now with the operation, uh, the Israeli invasion of the South, I think maybe more than 85% of the Palestinians uh, in, in, in the Gaza Strip has been affected, either lost somebody or their house is destroyed or they are displaced. So, so here is, is one reason, but also another reason which is important here, the safety net of Hamas, the regional safety net of Hamas, we have the axis of resistance. We are talking about the uh, Iran, Houthi, Hezbollah, and, 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 and Syria. So um, as much as Israel push for Hamas um, destruction, the more axis of resistance will feel that they are threatened by this and they will increase their support to Hamas and to ensure that Hamas can survive. Uh, if it's not, if, 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 if uh, inability to survive in Gaza, outside Gaza, but that's a bit a different question. But how, the, the, the lastly, I mean, I, to conclude about this question, also um, the, the, the uh, uh, ability of Hamas um, to, to, to engage with the regional other in diplomatic channels, like in Qatar and Turkey, and Egypt, that's make them also able to survive and to maneuver and manipulate. You also said that you wouldn't put all of these different groups in the same box. So you wouldn't say, you know, Hamas is, you know, the same as the Houthis, is the same as Hezbollah. Can you do some comparing and contrasting? What are the differences between, say, Hamas and Hezbollah or Hezbollah and the Houthis? Yeah, let, let's say let's take Hezbollah and Hamas for example. Hamas is has been seeking legitimacy from the international actors, while Hezbollah they don't care because they have already de, uh, legitimacy because they are part of the government. That's one thing. Um, uh, another thing is Hamas' ability to to have a local manufacturers or or even when it comes to military, the mobilization tactics of Hamas and the Gaza Strip is totally different. The um, uh, mobilization tactics that in 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 Lebanon because and the same in in uh, in in, uh, in Yemen that ethnical and ethno religious groups, but in Gaza Hamas is easy to mobilize because they are all Muslims and they are all Sunni, in in Gaza. So you have a wide net. You cannot. You don't need to uh, uh, to, to 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 do double check or or, or um, uh, pre selection when you mobilize. And, and you are not limited. Also, when it comes to service provision, Hezbollah is like Hamas when it comes to service. But the one difference in Hezbollah is Hezbollah does not uh, exploit the government or formal services provision because they have their own, but also they are part of the government and the government working alone. But in Gaza, there is overlap between Hamas and the de facto government. And the services provided by the government is considered to be Hamas services. So here is two examples um, that's uh, 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 different. But um, but with the Houthi, for example, it's 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 how Houthi um, they are not 
unique in, 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 in their, themselves, but they are unique in the way that they are still in, in the development phase as a group because they have been governing, but their government is still not developed as much as Hamas or Hezbollah. I wanted to ask you, uh, you mentioned the axis of resistance. And in the U.S., there's a lot of talk about Iran whenever you talk about Hamas, Hezbollah, or the Houthis. And sometimes I think it's vastly oversimplified. I I think uh, Hezbollah has its own interests. It may overlap at times with Iran, but I don't think it's as easy as saying Iran just controls everything like some grand puppet master. Can you speak to that uh, sort of mentality? Because I think it's off base when people say that. Well, I mean, this is a good question. And and I totally agree with you that um, people overlooking um, uh, Iran's rule uh, in, in everything in the Middle East. So and, and usually we joke uh, as uh, somebody who is aware of the Palestinian situation about expert on Hamas and uh, even Hezbollah. And who lived in Lebanon for some time? That's if 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 um, if anything happened in Texas, maybe Iran is responsible for that, <laughs> and 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 that's overlapping um, the rule of Iran. No, Iran doesn't control Hamas. Doesn't control Hamas in the way that it tells Hamas like what to do and what to do and what not to do. What. Iran can do to, or what Iran did to Hamas, and 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 it's a back story for you that in 2003, when the uh, American administration uh, during that after the 9/11, they pushed for uh, Saudi Arabia and Arab states to uh, restrict Hamas financial um, uh, channels. Then that was the golden opportunity for Iran to intervene, and that's where Hamas relied on Iran at that time. Because, because if, if Saudi Arabia kept um, uh, pouring money or financial resources to Hamas, Hamas would have been controlled by that time, uh, or at least restricted in somehow. But Iran g- give the technology to uh, Hamas. They trained Hamas uh, activists how to do, how to develop. Um, they coordinate with them. But by no mean that, for example, Iran told them do this or do that. But what happens now, it's opposite to Hezbollah, for example. Uh, Hezbollah, although um, Iran have a big control over Hezbollah, like if there is a big um, uh, uh, um, or Iran attack, Hezbollah will attack. Gaza will not attack, for example, if that have happened before because there are some limits. Hamas have defined itself as a nationalistic movement and it's war only in Palestine. So they have defined their uh, limits uh, already. But also you have the, uh, uh, in Gaza, which opposite to Hamas is Islamic Jihad, which have, which has more closer and a closer relationship with Iran than Hamas. Those group, they are, not big enough, like not like influential like Hamas, not advanced and so on, but Iran have influence on in them to do or not to do as well uh, in Gaza. I wanted to add to that. I, I think another problem, and I've heard, you know, U.S. figures on the Hill like John Bolton tried to push this line that, you know, if Iran would just disappear tomorrow, then, you know, everything would just be, you know, uh, 
dandy in the Middle East that, you know, it would all go away. And I, I think that's also just a really wrong-headed way of looking at this, this idea that if Iran went away, there would be peace. Um, because I, I think if Iran went away tomorrow, uh, Palestinians and Israel Israelis would still have this issue. Uh, could you speak to that? Well, I mean, this is the problem of the West, as 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 usually the the Western administ, I mean, the American administration and Western um, politician talks always about elimination, annihilation, uh, extermination, uh, ending, and and this is a big problem. They 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 don't accept somebody um, like Iran to exist because um, uh, Iran have been since nineteen seventy nine. Uh, there with the Islamic Revolution, and and they they have clearly stated that we have an Islamic agenda. Um, they despite the siege, Iran exists for how many years now? How many decades? Uh, but the issue is not Iran. The issue is not Iran. The issue is the main issue in the Middle East is occupation. The main issue is there is. Some people called Palestinians have been under occupation since 1967. And there has be, there have been a few million people displaced from their own land since 1948. So this is the big question. But and, and solving these problems, I think that would be uh, the major issue. If we want to compare the Middle East between 1994 until 1999 and now, which is more peaceful? Between 1994, when the Palestinians had hope, when the Arabs and Muslim world started to think like, okay, finally we will rest, the Palestinians will have a state. That was um, that was a Palestinian, like at that time, uh, an Egyptian from, from Cairo can come to Gaza and go to Tel Aviv and go to Jordan and then go to Syria after that. At that time, there was a possibility for this, and then go to Beirut. There was no uh, peace between uh, uh, Lebanon and Israel at that time, but through uh, uh, but e e Jordan had. So we are talking about like it, it's not like uh, we are talking about something we haven't tried before. We have an experiment, a, a, a historical experiment, in 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 1994 until 1999. The Palestinians were uh, hoping for an independent state. There was a hope for peaceful settlement. But that was the years of hope for the whole region. And Iran wasn't there, wasn't even mentioned. What do you make of, when we talk about those years of hope, there is a narrative I see a lot in the U.S. that if it wasn't for Arafat, if it wasn't for the Palestinians, uh, we, you know, they, they were their own worst enemies. It's all their fault that the peace didn't happen. And I think that is really a wrongheaded narrative. Uh, could you comment maybe on the narratives that we find in the U.S. that tend to be very pro-Israel and overlooking the Palestinian side? Yeah, because if, if, there is always a narrative that's the Americans uh, adapt from the Israelis. But we have Camp David, and Camp David didn't happen in, in Gaza. It happened in the United States. 
and it was sponsored and the American administration and American envoy and politicians were there and, and, and diplomats. So they know exactly what happens. Well, the main issue that um, Arafat didn't accept less than what Oslo have stated, because at that time, Oslo didn't fail, for example, because of the Palestinians. Uh, Oslo failed because Israeli or Israel at that time didn't want to to agree on the the, the limits. You, and, and that's the, the idea is you cannot um you 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 cannot claim the Palestinians or or or, or claim that the Palestinians disagreed when the Palestinians have already uh gave like uh, gave Israel 78% of historic Palestine. They agreed for 22, which is the West Bank, Gaza Strip, and East Jerusalem. And that's the, the idea of planned swapping um, was uh, at, that, at some point was acceptable. But the issue of Jerusalem was red line for Yasser Arafat at that time. Because Israel wanted Jerusalem. And Ehud Barak at that time, uh, the prime minister, he, he he said that that there was opportunity, there was a golden opportunity that Jerusalem can be international uh, city. There was the issue of, of the refugees was solved. Like the uh, Yasser Arafat agreed that 200,000 Palestinians to return to Palestine as a simple, just as a simple that not millions, but uh, 200,000. And they must be old, um, uh, over 50 or something. So there has been so many Shit chat at that time, why Oslo, why Camp David failed, or why Oslo failed. But Oslo failed because you are you are inviting for a pizza, or we are negotiating over a pizza. And we have we 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 how much we can get while you are eating it. So by the end of the year, you were you have eaten the whole pizza, and I was I'm waiting my 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 my, my portion, my slices. So and and this was the land. Um, when 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 Oslo Accord um was signed, only one hundred something settlers were in the West Bank. Uh, and uh, by 19, 1999, there were like three hundred something, and now seven hundred uh, uh settler. Um, by in in nineteen ninety six, when Netanyahu came as the first prime minister, uh, uh he opened the uh, he he said like. I'm going to uh, Oslo was a fault. And he opened the tunnel under Al-Aqsa. And then we had Al-Aqsa Intifada, which was a few days. And then he signed Y River, uh, Y River uh, uh, agreement. And then recently, most recently, Netanyahu himself, he said, I'm proud that I didn't uh, make it happen to have an independent Palestinian state. So that was an Israeli ideology, an Israeli strategic move not to have a Palestinian state. And that's why Oslo Accord failed, because if you have a strategy of not having a Palestinian state, as Oslo Accord uh, indicated, then what's the purpose of, of arguing? If you could, uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about your analysis of what has happened in the Gaza Strip since October. And I know you have um, family in the Gaza Strip, so I, I hope they're okay. I. I mean, it's a difficult time for everyone, but I, I, I really, really, my heart goes out to anyone with family in Gaza. But what is your analysis of what has happened? Because I think 
a lot of people understand that there's bombing, but I, I mean, there's also food scarcity right now. And I, I think people are overlooking that the lack of medical care. It's not just that bombs are going off, uh, you know, Israeli bombs. It, it's much more than that. Could you speak to that? I mean, what is happening in, 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 in Gaza is beyond imagination. And I think it's one of the worst um, uh, catastrophes uh, human made since the Second World War. And, uh, and, and, and it's, it's, it's a genocide that's an unimaginable. Um, according to the Israeli sources, what Israel dropped on Gaza in two months is like what the Americans and the coalition dropped on Iraq for two years, the old Iraq. And Gaza is just 360 kilometers. Gaza is one of the most um, inhabited areas in the world. So if you drop a, a stone or a rock from uh, above, it will hit some, some somebody. It will kill somebody, not a rocket. And most of, of the bombs are used are catastrophic. Like you have bombs like 2,500 kg, 2,000 kg. Uh, dozens of them have been dropped or hundreds of them have been dropped on Gaza. The use of white spheres. Um, and, and, and based on the first week of, of from after the 7th of October, Israeli uh, leaders have um, been, which has been dehumanizing the Palestinians for a long time. They said, we will no water, no food, no medicine, nothing. They stated that also the Palestinians are human animals. This is, these talks we have heard before in the 30s and 40s, which is sadly, it's, uh, we will be talking about this right now. And, 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 and something like uh, this, it was the preparation for starving and weaponization of food, of water, of essential healthcare, and um, deprivation of, of basic human rights. What is happening right now is Israel uh, dividing the Gaza Strip into two places. They're bombing both of them. Uh, they Before they declared south of Gaza as safe zone, but it has never been safe, which I'm talking about according to the United Nations. Uh, according to the United Nations, um, the United Nations um, reports, it's Gaza, what's happening in Gaza, it's one of the most destructive movement in the world in the history for human mankind the 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 magnitude of destruction in gaza in south or north gaza is incomparable to anywhere in the world that was when when in in, in dresden they were comparing it to dresden in november but you can imagine after two more months it's more than dresden uh, uh, in, the, in the Second World War. So we are talking about something um, uh, uh, historically unprecedented, the level of destruction, but the destruction of, of also the killing, the murdering, when you are talking about uh, killing of 12 or 13,000 children under age of 12, we are talking about, uh, we are talking about like killing, I don't know which state in the United States, the smallest one that's there, uh, uh, their annual uh, deliver babies are um, are fifty thousand. So we are talking about killing 50, uh, fifteen or twenty percent 
of all babies delivered in one American state. That's unimaginable. Or let's say like in Sweden or or 20% of, of or 30% of babies born in Denmark, killing them all in three months. So if we are talking about one year, the same thing that like killing the like born born kids in one year in just three months. Uh, and, and that's something, and women as well. So we are talking about 70% of casualties of people are killed, are women and the children. So we are talking about people not combat, they are not unarmed, they are totally civilians. And then the men, they have been killed also, they were civilians within the houses. Indeed, like Ghassan Abu Sitta, the uh, war uh, medical doctor who was in Gaza, he was he, he was asked this question. Have you ever seen, you worked in three hospitals, have you ever seen a militant coming to you? He said, no, I haven't seen any militant. Because you can see, you can recognize who is militant and who is not militant. We haven't seen on TV, live, anyone militant. So we, we, this is to give you a perspective of, of what is happening there. But now, what is happening now, when Gaza needed uh, uh, 500 trucks under siege, we are talking Gaza was under siege before 7 October, and to keep the Gazans alive and their life um, uh, uh, functional. Every day they needed 500 truck of 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 uh, food and medicine, water and basic needs. Now, since the the seventh of October, only few thousands of these trucks went in. So you are like people are eating cats in Gaza in southern Gaza. Cats are eating human bodies. In, in in northern part of Gaza. And there are pictures of this and videos of this. People started to starve and in northern Gaza and die. No medicine, no care. There are 50,000 women, pregnant women uh, 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 in danger. So we are talking about something beyond imagination, killing people. There are many kids have been um, uh, died in the last uh, week because of starvation in, in, in northern Gaza. That's the situation there. I wanted to ask you, and I hope this isn't too long. they are under bombs, of course. I, I wanted to ask you this question because I, and I hope it isn't too odd, but, you know, I've had Palestinians say to me that, you know, the policies that Israel has pursued, especially under Netanyahu, uh, who has completely rejected any concept of a Palestinian state, he's openly said it, you know, he's mm -hmm. gone after this, you know, just disgusting mowing the lawn strategy of bombing Gaza every few years. I've had Palestinians say to me that this isn't even good for Israelis. Uh, I really do think this hurts. Uh, I mean, it hurts first and foremost Palestinians, but I, I don't think this is this policy that has been pursued by Israel, specifically under Netanyahu. It hasn't provided security even for people living in Israel. Could you comment on that? I mean, in anywhere in the world, there is no possibility that killing, murdering, destruction of healthcare system, uh, bombing hospitals, um, bombing universities, and destroying 45% of schools is helpful. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not helpful. I mean, and and it's the most the most disgusting thing is those soldiers who are brainwashed 
and posting on TikTok and social media with happy and joy, how they destroy whole houses, how they destroy neighborhood, total neighborhoods, how they destroy schools and hospitals. This is something that will create more stubborn generation. Uh, it will radicalize more generations. And, and that's the fear is when, when, and I'm not talking about only Palestinian generation that will be um, radicalized. You are talking about global radicalization movement. Like somebody in Texas who is following Palestinian news, he is more radicalized than a Palestinian who live in Palestine nowadays. And people the same in Africa, the same in, in, in the global South in Latin America, even in Europe, that's, that's somehow uh, um, uh, a wave of radicalization in a, a globe, and, and it's this is not, I mean, not bad or, or, or right wing radicalization, but radicalization when it comes to the question of the global south with their government, the global south, the global north, the international institutions, international human law, but also against Israel. And here is my fear is because many people, and, 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 and just before I say this, so there is this uh, Palestinian journalist who said something very important that what the Palestinians failed to teach the Arab generations in many years, in decades, Israel have taught them in two weeks by practicing, by, by killing. So now every Arab in the in, 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 in every Arab youth, young man from Mauritania, from the uh, uh, Djibouti, from Nouakchott to, to Kuwait, to Baghdad, to Yemen, to even Emirate that have normalized with Israel, they know what is happening. Now they are more radicalized. They study what is Palestine, why Palestine? Children who are 10 years old or six years old, they are talking about Palestine. So, so you are walking, like Israel woke up, or waked up a whole generation from the Arab and Muslim world, but also from a global south. So, 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 just this before um, we 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 go into into in, into more depth in in Gaza Strip and in Palestine. Now, it harmed Israel, of course. If if you say no, I mean, who is? I mean, if there was um, thirty percent of the Palestinians were um, hoping that there will be peace with Israel. Now, none actually think that there will be ever peace with Israel. And I, I don't know Netanyahu how they, he think, and if if you want to keep this policy or how the American the, uh, the 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 American administration think, uh, pacify the Palestinians using pressure, starving them, killing them. This doesn't work. Before we start wrapping up, uh, if you could stay an extra few minutes, I wanted to ask you about uh, the risks of regional war, uh, because I think that's been a big concern for a lot of people. I know you spoke with uh, the Cairo Review of Global Affairs in a podcast with them about this. Where do you think that stands? What are the risks right now? I think I will start with what the Blinken State Secretary of State said uh, two days ago, that um, we are in a situation more dangerous uh, than 1973 in the Middle East. And this, I, I said that to a few weeks ago with the Cairo review, that um, the whole region is boiling. And I think now we are on, 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 on the tip of, of explosion. 
and any miscalculated mistake from anybody in the region, it can explode. So um, I'm afraid, but we haven't calmed down since then. And 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 this because and and I, I think this is very sensitive period for the American for Biden himself. Uh, the elections is very close on the doors. Uh, he is losing, and I, I I think he is losing, and 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 that's what what the his um, campaign saying and telling him that we are facing difficulties in in in. Uh, and in, in, in mobilizing the Arab and Muslim voices. Especially uh, in places like Michigan. Yeah, it's a big exactly. concern. So, so this is a big concern. So, so and Michigan, you know, Michigan was um, uh, a swinging voice, uh, swinging votes in the last elections. So I think, or so I, I, I think there are two states that can determine his future and they have majority of Arab and Muslim community. And, 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 and the tipping point, uh, honestly here for him, was when he stopped the funding of UNRWA because the only difference between him and Trump actually was the, the UNRWA. His, and, and when it comes to Palestine, he's the, that's the only actually uh, difference. Uh, and and, and the, the other uh, Trump policies, he adapted 100% and he went even farther. Um, and, 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 and that's why he is losing. So that's why he wanted to avoid war. Uh, regional war, uh, but if miscalculation happened, and here we are talking about Netanyahu, because Netanyahu's survival, Netanyahu's survival is prolonging the war. So if we prolong the war, Netanyahu is safe, and that's what I'm afraid of. That starting uh, war with, with Lebanon, Hezbollah, but Lebanon with Hezbollah is not a war with Hamas. It's even more destructive. It's a two. It's a sovereign state in Lebanon, and Hezbollah has more capacities and capabilities. So I, we, I was going to say Israel arguably did not fare very well uh, the last time it it took uh, Hezbollah on. So I mean, I think Hezbollah could be uh, a real problem for Israel if they decide to have a full on war with them. What, 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 but just because this is, I want to, uh, because this could be the first time I, 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 I talk about it is even after, if even if this didn't end, uh, end in, in a regional war, it will end up with something else. Uh, Jordan and Egyptian fronts are going to open. And that's a problem for Egypt, for Jordan and for Israel. Uh, first, the um, the Egyptians uh, in, in in the last month there have been two groups announced their formation, Kataab uh, Omar Al Farouk, in Egypt, and they launched an attack on uh, Israeli borders. So we are expect we can expect more of this, which is undermine the peaceful uh, uh, borders with Egypt. And in Egypt, there have been a lot of attempts to smuggle weapons. And there is a possibility that such operations come. And here, something that the Jordanian government and the Jordanian regime in general have lost trust in Israel. And they look at it from this front perspective now. I and 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 I mean here is first with the transfer, first it started last year with the Smutrich uh speech about Jordan as part of the big Israel, the greater Israel. And then 
coming now to the transfer of Palestinian of the West Bank, that they already wanted to transfer the Palestinian of the Gaza Strip to Egypt and then Jordania, the West Bank to Jordan, that's more realistic than ever. Now the Jordan looking at it like they are fearing it. They are doing this by policies, destruction of infrastructure on daily basis in the West Bank. They want to make West Bank unlivable uh, uh, place. So forcing people to move voluntarily to Jordan. And then the third one is what happens with the water agreement that Israeli politicians said to uh, many times that we can make Jordanian thirsty or we can thirst uh, Jordanians uh, if we want. So now we are talking about that the Jordanian regime now will not attack Israel, of course, but they will treat the peace agreement, Aqaba agreement, as a piece of paper. And we possibly see more attacks from, from the Jordanian side after the war. I also wanted to ask you, with regards to how Egypt and other states have reacted to this in the Arab world, you know, I, I've seen some people, pundits here in the U.S. say, well, why can't, you know, these Gazans just go to uh, Egypt? Why can't Egypt absorb them? And my view has been and my understanding has been that in the Arab world, I don't think any of these states want to be party to what could very easily be seen as another Nakba. Uh, they don't want to be seen as participants in that. Do you think that's playing a role in how the Arab world is reacting to this? Not really. This is one, okay. one thing. It's not about like the Nakba because it's a, it's about security. Because driving even 100,000 Palestinians to Egypt, Israel is doomed. Because is, Egypt cannot manage 100,000 Palestinians on the borders with Israel. They will form, they will attack, they will, they, it's a security, it's a big issue. And Egyptian security is not able to do, to, to manage it. It's it's um, it's impossible situation, but also, like, can you explain that a little bit more, just briefly, or? Yeah, I I I will explain. Okay, the idea is transfer transferring Palestinian, you know, ethnically cleansed Gaza Strip and send Palestinians. Even if we are talking about 200,000 Palestinians to settle down in Sinai, like uh, by force, forcing them to leave. This you are talking about. Um, 200,000. It's a big increase in number. The Egyptian security or army or military will not take it easy to control those people. So they will form, they will be easy to get weapons, um, attack Israel from the Egyptian side, and that means the end of, of, of the peace agreement with Egypt. So, yeah. So, and the Egyptians said that. Egyptians have sent a message to Israel that's any move around this uh, transfer to Palestinians, it means end of our peace agreement. We cannot handle it. And 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 this, for, 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 so 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 the idea of 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 transferring the Palestinians, it was a red line even for the Americans and for the Europeans. Like they they are not, they don't want like uh, one one hundred um, uh, ten million uh, Egyptian to be uh, in war with Israel. Yeah. So, so, and and another reason is here is 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 we are talking about like, trans. What where the Palestinians go? I mean, that's their homes. I mean, in the Gaza Strip. I mean, and and I mean, it's impossible that they will not leave. They will prefer to die there. Um, and and that's why, uh, people on the Gaza in northern Gaza, they said we will not leave. 
they have tried to force them yesterday and the day before yesterday to leave to South Gaza, said, no, kill us here. We see that in North and South Gaza, you are killing people. And 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 the, the whole idea here is the Israeli administration or the Israeli regime want to make Gaza unlivable and to force Palestinians to voluntarily leave uh, Gaza. And of course, if they want to leave, I mean, 100,000 will leave and live abroad, that's fine, but you have still 2 million. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's impossible. The lessons of the Nakba uh, uh, is learned, but we have seen, we have been seeing Nakba in the last three uh, uh, months. We have seen what Israel and the Jewish gangs uh, in, in 1947 did to the Palestinians, how they drove them out of their lands and their homes by force, by killing, by the worst and brutal uh, way. I also wanted to ask you, uh, how do you think the Gulf states figure into this? Uh, so Saudi Arabia, Qatar, um, what do you think of their reactions thus far? Well, uh, let's start Saudi Arabia. What one of actually one of of of, of the main reasons why seven October happened is because Hamas wanted to make it clearly uh, 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 that normalization with Israel by Saudi Arabia is not going to happen, and that's what's happening now. It is stopped. The, the 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 talks between Saudi Arabia and the Americans of for normalization with Israel stopped after seven October. Now the Saudis actually more a bit hardliner when it comes to this. Like, okay, we normalize, but we will not normalize uh, like this. We want a price, a Palestinian state. That's how we do it. Um, Emirate, I mean, Emirate and Dawah and, and uh, Bahrain, I mean, these are useless countries, to be honest. I mean, um, in, in, in many ways. Uh, they have lost credibility among Arabs and they have lost credibility among Arab states to be honest like because they have been engaged in a destructive role in Egypt in Yemen in Tunis in uh, Libya in Syria and in Iraq um, Qatar have been working as mediator and actually they are doing very well somehow and because Qatari have been working with non-state actors for a long time and opening channels. And I think the most powerful country in the region now when it comes to, to, to Hamas and Israel is Qatar. It's the smallest country maybe now after like uh, Bahrain is the smallest, but Qatar is, 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 is a powerful when it comes to this because they have been building a trust for a long time and they have already experienced with Taliban because they have been also uh, hosting Taliban, they have hosting Hamas, and, and also possibility that they can expand. So, so their rule is crucial and even bigger than the rule of the Saudis and even the rule of the Egyptian. Before closing out, uh, a few days ago, we had uh, reports of a conference in Israel organized by settlers, including the longtime, very extreme settler Daniela Weiss. Uh, what do you make of the settler movement in this conference, which is basically calling for Israeli resettlement of Gaza? I mean, this is, you know, scary stuff. Well, I mean, this should be scary for the Israelis and for the Israeli society. 
and it should be scary for the American administration, and it should be scary for the European Union. It should be scary for the whole Western world. I mean, it's not because Israel have been allying itself with the West. We are the, the, the we are actually we are defending the Western values. We are defending the West. We are defending uh, um, um, the democracy in the Middle East. Uh, the, or, or democracy in the world. So here is the question is, is Western world, American and European values align with the settler colonial movement or not? So this is embarrassing for the American administration. It's embarrassing for the European Union. And it's dangerous, even more dangerous to the Israeli society because the more they push for this, the more they delegitimizing Israel. Because when we're talking about like 13 or 11 ministers participating in this conference, like even the most sane Trump uh, sympathizer in Texas, I don't know why I'm taking Texas because I think it's I think it's a Republican state. I don't know, but 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 in Texas they were like look like why 11 ministers participating in decolonization or resettlements of Gaza? It's it's it's, it's somehow like they were like. It will raise so many questions, even the most radical people in the West, and 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 that's and and that's the idea is of transforming the public opinion in the world about Israel, but also it tell us how far the settlements movement went from being a minority in the early nineties, like few people, a few leaders, to being part of the cabinet of the ministry. It's the Israeli society is moving right to radical extremist uh, 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 side. Is there anything you'd want to say in closing? I I want to end on a hopeful note, but there's not very much hope to go around. I feel like um, I, I don't know what to say. It, it's this whole situation is very horrifying. So, what do you want to say in closing to my audience? I, I think it's I I, I think. There is only one solution here is is and in the occupation and ending the occupation at this stage is not going to be uh, a will of the Israeli politician uh, or Israel in, in, in general. So my message is the international will must prevail over the national whim of Israel and Israeli radicals. And without an independent Palestinian state, uh, where the Palestinians live in peace as well. Uh, it's very hard to have peace in, in the world. I mean, uh, I mean, as I, I would say, as uh, Nelson Mandela once said, uh, there is no freedom for South African without the freedom of the Palestinians. I, I just wanted to add in that regard. So I, I'm curious, I know a lot of people argue about the different solutions, and I think the, the solution will be political. Uh, are you in favor of like a, a two state? Where where do you stand on all of that? Personally, um, I have been for long um, with the one state solution because there is no possibility to have a two state solution, and and as, as this is very hard because you already have a reality there. Uh, you already have a reality on the, on the ground. Uh, yeah, you have... I think a lot of people have called it the one state reality. Uh, Professor uh, Ian Lustig has used that term. Where really, I mean. Israel is controlling everything from the river to the sea as it is now. Well, I mean, I mean, it 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 controls from river to the sea and in different judicial system, different political system, 
different ID colors if you don't know about this. I mean, I mean, one of the things um, I think I, 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 I will shock you. Um, you know how many ID colors that the Palestinians have between the river, the sea and the sea. We are ID colored. We have different ID colors issued by the Israeli army. So I have green ID color. My father have uh, had red ID color, dark red, and some of the old generation have still red. There are dark blue for the people uh, in, in uh, East Jerusalem, I think, and there is light blue for the Palestinian with Israelis as a hip. And then you have orange one, and then you have another one. And guess what? None of them can marry from each other without a military permission. And you cannot change address of from each color to another color region without a military permission. So this kind of reality is very hard. I mean, it's I mean, if if I want if I feel in love with a Palestinian girl from the West Bank, it's impossible to marry. If I fall in love with a Palestinian with the Israeli citizenship, it's impossible to marry. And vice versa. But you want more amazing? Last year, there is a new law that's if you are a foreigner, if you um, um, want to go to uh, West Bank, there is a new law in October 2000, no, not October, July, I think, or something. You can Google it, that you have to declare if you are in love with a Palestinian woman or a man. That's a law in Israel, if you want to enter. So this is the reality. I mean, we are not talking about land only. Occupation doesn't mean land. And we need to understand, and to your readers and to your listeners, we are not talking about land. We are talking about dignity, about human dignity. We are talking about the humanization of normal people. One of the most smartest, the one who contributed to the world with, the, with, with, with writers, with scientists, um, some of them have already been uh, working in NASA for a long time, have led NASA projects. Some of them, like Edward Said, were uh, 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 fierce. Some of them have been working on chemical industry. We're talking about people who are just looking for to live in peace, to be able to move, to be able to drink uh, water, to be able to travel without a soldier, 18 years old, stopped them for uh, three, four hours. So so that's that's the issue. What do you think, and I, I will let you go after this, but what do you think the biggest... Th there's been such a campaign of dehumanization of Palestinian voices, not just in the past few months, but over the course of years. And I think in different ways, US media has contributed to that. Uh, to the point where I think there's a lot of misperceptions about Palestinians here, especially in the U.S. Um, maybe not as much with younger people, but uh, there's portions of the populace, I think, in this country that, first off, I, I don't think people recognize that you know Palestinian and Arab are not interchangeable. I think Palestinian identity needs to be recognized as, as Palestinian. I also think, in my experience at least, you know, there's this canard that, oh, the Palestinians just hate Jews. That's not been my experience with Palestinians. I don't think there's any hatred. I mean, there, there's probably individual people that do. But in, in my experience with Palestinians, I I don't sense some 
you know, blood hatred of Jewish people. And I think these are two misperceptions people have. What do you think the biggest misperceptions people have about Palestinians are? Well, the, the biggest misperception is is when you are talking about Palestinians, they don't think, oh, you hate Jews, for example, Jews, uh, which is um, uh, there is one big thing when it comes to the conflict. Like uh, I have so many of my friends are Jews. Um, I have worked, for example, very hard against anti-Semitism and in, in, in Europe and in Palestine and so on, because it's a lack of education. And to be honest, that's it's you know anti-Semitism and hate, Jewish hatred is a Western created Western idea. It created in the West and lived in the West, while the Arabs and Muslims um, um, host the Jews because you have Jewish Arabs like the Jewish Iraqi, Egyptian Iraqi. Their Arab identity, Moroccan Jewish, also their Arab identity is strong. The Yemeni Jewish also. Uh, their, their Arab identity is strong, so so the the idea is 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 uh, like the misperception that uh, Palestinians hate, hate Jewish now. That that's that's the biggest misperception. And second is all Palestinians are somehow like have uh, a, a Hamas, for example. If you are a Palestinian, uh, is Hamas. But while the Palestinian society actually is a mix, is 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 a garden with many flowers. You have Christians, you have Jewish Palestinians, you have Muslim Palestinians, you have uh, secular, you have atheists, you have agonistic, you have uh, gays, you have homosexuals, you have lesbians, you have, um, you, 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 from every way. I mean, it's 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 a diverse society. Uh, 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 so, so that's uh, a big misperception of Palestinians. I want to thank you again for coming on Parallax Views. How can my listeners keep up with your work? Oh, I mean, at Google, I, I, I think I will. I, I was trying to do a website because um, with the war, um, guys, I forgot to pay my uh, website uh, fees. But they can uh, look on my Twitter. They can follow me. And then I would be happy to post uh, uh, my work uh, also. Well, that does it for this edition of Parallax Views. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Abdel Hadi Al Ijla, and that you'll consider supporting my show on Patreon at Patreon.com/ParallaxViews. One more time, that's Patreon.com/ParallaxViews. And with that being said. Until next time, you've been listening to Parallax Views with Parallax Views to Parallax Views with The way out is not simply to say don't do it, just to prohibit. If nothing else, if we don't do it, others will be doing it like right. So you know we have to confront the problem. But no, basically, basically, I'm, I know of the great anxiety problems, new forms of control, but it's also new forms of freedom. This is why I always emphasize that uh, uh, internet and all this new digital stuff, it's a very ambiguous phenomenon, but it's the field of struggle. New forms of enslavement, but at the same time, new incredible forms of freedom. We have to accept the fight with no nostalgia for old, allegedly more authentic communities or whatever. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. 
I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.